up, Pete? Yo, what's going on, man? Where are you? I'm out on the boat, out on the lake, man. Woo. <laughs> I couldn't make it back home in time, so I just decided yeah, that was, to. That was an hour. I got 5G, or it says 5G. I don't know if I really have 5G, but. Well, let's see. I'm on, let's see how this I'm works on out. Bull Creek off of Lake Austin is where I am. Bullshit Creek. Yeah. If anybody wants to come out, I got my buddy Mike heckling me over here in the background too. Well, How you doing, man? Doing good, man. Um, I mean, we have so much shit to talk about if we want to. I mean, um, it, we, we had said I had put out on Twitter that we were going to talk about China and Evergrande and everything. Yeah. But the crazy thing is, is that they didn't. They basically what what keeps happening is. China keeps allowing them to, I guess the government keeps allowing them to like pay the interest on a couple of their bonds to extend mm -hmm. it out. So I think yesterday. Right. Wait, wait, wait. They... So, so slow down, go back and rewind, tell people what Evergrande is and what we're talking about here. Okay. So Evergrande is the second largest real estate developer in China. Mm -hmm. And I mean, what David Stockman has been saying for a long time and uh, what other people have been saying is that they're, going to go the way of like a Lehman Brothers or something like that, that it, it might not affect, it might not do what a Lehman Brothers did to the Chinese or the world economy, but it's not going to be good. And they so were looking say like Lehman Brothers. In other words, they're extremely overextended on, oh, yeah. on land debt. Right. Oh yeah. So they, um, what they're looking at is they have all these bonds out there. Their bonds were, went from a hundred percent to 50% a couple months ago. And now they're like, they're at zero. So they just have to pay the interest on, um, on their bonds at this point in order to stay afloat. Problem is, is they're doing it like one here and two there. And you know, it's basically what happens when you have like a hybrid an even more hybrid communist kind of system where, the government is allowing them to keep to stay in business, even though if it was a free market, they would have crashed, you know, five or six years ago, according to David Stockman. So at this point, they're still in business, but I I assume at this point, probably the the government's lending them that money in order to I mean, they're supposed to be flush. They're supposed to not they're not supposed to be flush, but they're supposed to have a lot in reserves. But if a company that big, the second largest real estate company and builder in China, is having trouble coming up with $148 million, I mean, I know that sounds like a lot of money to us, but in that yeah. world, you know that's pocket change in that world. I mean, that's just print. That's the Federal Reserve hitting a couple, you know, hitting a, a couple keystrokes in this country. So, I mean, I don't know what's going on. Yesterday, there were reports that they had defaulted officially. And now it seems like they're they're just stringing them along, stringing them along. We don't know. You know. And, you know, even Peter Lee's not saying anything. He's I think he, he's just like over this at this point, talking about Evergrande and everything. Yeah. I, I just went through his whole Twitter feed. He hasn't said anything about them in like a week or so. So, you know. oh, really? Yeah, no, yeah. I'm way behind on all of this stuff, man. I saw, you know, the headlines a couple of days ago about how they're defaulting. And then, you know, I guess they got the green span put like you're talking about there. The central government <laughs> is intervening to bail them out. So, you know, there'll be a zombie company. And I guess the idea would be that somehow you try to like wind that their their bad position down easy somehow and get them back to solvency. But it sounds more like throwing good money after bad. I guess yeah. the real question is. You know, just how much are they going to have to, you know, give, you know, loan or, or forgive or whatever it is to allow this company to keep going and, and, you know, to what avail, what consequences if it goes ahead and falls apart anyway? Um, and, and what other, you know, I mean, Lehman Brothers, when you say Lehman Brothers, that was the one that fell or one or two, it was along with Bear Stearns, right? There was mm -hmm. the one that fell first. And was yeah. the symbol of what was to come. So, you know, you mentioned David Stockman there. I mean, he refers to the entire nation of China as the China Ponzi. 
he refuses to even, you know, dignify it as a national government. The whole thing is a big stupid pyramid scheme backed up by paper money or, you know, inflationary money, even worse than ours, with an even worse debt to um, GDP ratio and all that. So he's, you know, which he's always a bear. You know, he's course, always predicting yeah. imminent collapse here and imminent collapse there and imminent collapse everywhere. And he's always right. It's just the question is just how imminent it is. But he's certainly right about, you know, how overextended they are. Um, but well, yeah, let me ask you, uh, let me ask you ahead. something, because um, I listened to this show and I want to listen to it again. Uh, you had Peter Zahan on. Yeah. What, what did I mean? He's a neoliberal, I believe. Uh what did you get from him? What was, what were the, I was going to say, what's he peddling, but I don't want to disrespect him like that because he seems like he is really in tune with what's going on. So can you give yeah. some highlights of that show? Yeah, it's interesting. So I can't remember who it was that sent me the link and said, take a look at this guy. So it's a video. It's supposedly like, I think it's labeled the interview of him, but it's basically an outtakes of an interview of him, I guess with you know interesting graphics and footage and you know b-roll stuff going on while he's talking and he's saying man china's no threat and in fact china's gonna fall apart hell china ain't even a threat to its own people anymore now he has different reasons for saying this but his overriding reason for saying this is you know his first premise is that the American empire is over, that America is on its way home, that, you know, don't let your eyes deceive you, but we have fewer ships, uh, you know, in uh, East Asia than we have in a long time. And we're continually, essentially the American people all agree with me now and all are interested in abandoning the empire. So therefore, you know, kind of in his just logical syllogism, once America is not the global hegemon guaranteeing open trade on the high seas for all nations, which it does, not just for nations to trade with us, but for them to all trade with each other and everything else. That once America isn't the global naval hegemon and, and, and hegemon otherwise, um, you know, land routes too, I guess, um, constantly threatening. If anybody messes with anybody else, they're going to have to answer to us. And that's what keeps the peace. And so once we stop, all that then it's all going to fall apart and all the nation states of the old world are all going to go back to war with each other like the bad old days and that china will be completely screwed because i forgot what he he calls it like the second the first and second barrier of trade where they've got to get past the philippines and japan and uh indonesia and malaysia and singapore and all these kind of nearby countries in the South and East Pacific there or, or Southwest Pacific there that essentially have historically hemmed China in and prevented them from being a global power. And so, I mean, I have to say, Pete, like the way that the guy talked to me, it sounded like it was based on a lot of assumptions about just exactly how everything's going to go, like as a matter of course. So, I mean, hell i mean to hear him talk about it, i think he even said like look our last seven presidents have been isolationist right like all any of them wanted to do was come home from the world and i'm saying that i just don't read it that way i'm sorry i don't think that that's really right like if he could he could argue that well w bush got so bogged down in the middle east that he neglected everything else but he expanded nato and, you know, he, he did his part to build up forces in the Pacific and strengthen America's relationship with South Korea. In fact, sabotage peace between North and South Korea to keep South Korea dependent on us. Um, you know, had a decent relationship with the Japanese and, and worked on that at all times for eight years. So I don't really know what he's talking about there. He certainly emphasized the Middle East above all. Um, but and then he says, you know, Obama didn't have a foreign policy at all. Well, that's just not true either. He also expanded NATO. And I, you know, I named a bunch of Middle East countries, but I should have said Ukraine, too, because he had a quite severe Ukraine policy in 2014 that led to a war and, you know, led to the loss of Crimea. I mean, not that I care, but led to Ukraine's loss of Crimea uh, back to Russian sovereignty 
in, in all of that mess. More than 10,000 people killed in that war. Um, and the pivot to Asia, which I agree with him that they didn't really quite accomplish that because they were still bogged down, screwing around the Middle East. In fact, I think that probably was part of the thinking of doing the Iran nuclear deal, was they're trying to wash their hands of the Middle East to some degree and get some level of kind of stasis that they could call victory and kind of pivot away from there and then build up toward China. Um, and I think he's probably right that they didn't accomplish that as much as some in the government would have liked, and especially in the Navy. But then under Donald Trump, I mean, I think the military, the national security state were essentially on their own to do whatever they want during Trump. He, he was barely in charge of issuing guidance at all, right? They, they want to pivot to Asia, they pivot to Asia. Um, you know, I saw this great clip of John Mearsheimer from the University of Chicago, where he's talking about America's China policy. And he has a lot of assumptions in there that I don't necessarily agree with, too. But um, uh, he was saying in there, when, when you hear discussions of will America defend Taiwan, forget that. There's not a discussion. There's, that's not a political decision that's being made in Washington, D.C. The deep state has already decided that we are. The Navy, the CIA, and whatever other different components in the Pentagon, the Air Force, they have already decided that, yes, we will defend Taiwan. That's the policy. The rest of this is all just window dressing. And, you know, that's no crank talking. That's John Mearsheimer from the University of Chicago, who's the dean of the realist school in American foreign policy, uh, saying that, like, look, that's just the deal. And he says, you know, he says in there, too, look, if, if China becomes uh, starts being dominant and pushing around their neighbors, that, of course, America must respond to that. But he doesn't say why. You know, he just says that it is what it is, that that's the way powers are and whatever. But there's a lot of question begging in all this foreign policy stuff. You know, the, the realists, you might remember this from my debate with Hersa Ali there at Freedom Fest, where she says, nations act in their best interest. I was like, says who? They fucking do, right? Like They act in the best interest of whatever bureaucrat is in charge, thinks is in his best interest, which may or may not even coincide with what that person thinks is in the best interest of the country. They probably try to rationalize a lot, but, you know, look at the way we got in the war in Libya. That was all a personal power trip by Samantha Power and Susan Rice trying to get promotions, right? Trying to move up in the world, in the bureaucracy by starting a war. You know, um, there's this great quote from Strobe Talbot, who was, uh, oh, hey, Mike, would you see if you can turn that flashlight back on? It kind of burned itself out there. Um, there's this quote from Strobe Talbot who was, um, you know, Bill Clinton's uh, roommate at Oxford and, you know, uh, foreign policy advisor. He tried to make him national security advisor for a while there and everything. And um, Talbot gave an interview where someone is grilling him about, man, maybe it was a bad idea to expand NATO this way and provoke the Russians. And here we are, we're messing around in Ukraine and threatening, you know, causing this war and threatening a real war uh, between major powers here. And, I forgot exactly the context. Um, maybe it was James Carden. I know I know James Carden wrote about this. And I interviewed James Carden and talked with him about it. Um, and Strobe Talbot says something very close to like, well, we were doing what we thought was in the United States' interests. And if we didn't do that, well, we'd be fired, right? Like, that's the job. The job is take advantage the job is you know essentially do what thou wilt hey uh try to plug that battery in because it's dying now um the 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 um i think you know bert bert grim who's in oh, wait, the wait, wait, in let me, the comment wrap that up real quick go ahead, go ahead. is um just the, the question is okay expanding nato against russia's will you, under whatever metrics that somebody at the University of Georgetown says, that's, um, you know, in our interest, in the United States interest. But I'm just questioning, yeah, over what period of time, right? Like maybe this means if we bring all these countries into NATO, that means we can direct all the pipelines west and keep the Russians out. And that means an extra few billion dollars a year. Well, so what? Right. That might not matter at all. If you say 
that that in the long term, that negatively affects our entire relationship with the most powerful other nuclear weapons state on the planet and puts us on a negative relationship trajectory that leads to all other different harms, right? So in other words, Strobe Talbot himself, he's begging the question there. He's saying, whatever it is that I say is good for America is what's good for America. But he's only saying that within his own little narrow frame of reference. And he's not even, and here he is in fact, sort of conceding the point and saying, geez, now in hindsight, it looks like maybe that was a bad idea. Okay, well, but that just means it was a bad idea in the first place. It wasn't actually to America's advantage, just you framed it that way at the time for your own, you know, petty interests and maybe delusions that this is what would be good for America. And and you can say, yes, we make extra concessions off of a pipeline that runs west instead of, you know, from south to west instead of from east to west. Um, but so what? Like that might not be anything at all. A few a few tens of billions of dollars might not amount to, you know, pennies in the fountain compared to real trouble that could be caused. And especially when, look, the Soviet Union is gone. We ought to be best friends with Russia forever, no matter what, just because of how many H-bombs they're holding. That's it. You can't be frenemies even with a guy like that. You got to be friends with a guy like that, dude. There's no reason. As, As George, as George Kennan said in 1998, he goes, don't we understand? Don't the Senate, don't these people understand? These are the men who overthrew the communists for us. These aren't the communists. These aren't the Soviets. These are the heroes who got rid of those guys. And sorry about my lighting situation here. I'm working on it. Um, thanks. Um, so anyway, that's the whole thing that I'm saying is Hersa Ali and Strobe Talbot and these people essentially are all wet, right? That like, what the hell do they know about what's in the national interest? You know, and look at all the trouble that they caused. And then what do they all say too? Well, you know, mistakes were made. Hersa Ali and Strobe Talbot and Bill Crystal, they go, well, you know, some of the things that we tried to do didn't work out as well as they might have. <laughs> Thanks a lot. You know? Yeah. Oh, man. Bert, Bert's wondering if your your boat's called the USS Liberty 2 um, <laughs> because because the lights keep going out. And then, he <laughs> said, and then he says, speaking of pennies in the fountain, you should debate Ben Shapiro. <laughs> That's funny. You know, so so I think you probably know, Pete, that Gene actually originally tried to get uh, Ben Shapiro to do it, and he never would even answer. Man, what is up with that goddamn contraption right now? It's dead now. It's pissing me off. It's completely dead. Um, Should have got my So, And he he just wouldn't do it, man. Uh, He wouldn't even answer. So that was when Epstein turned to Bill Crystal. So maybe I'll get Bill Crystal to do it. Put my hat back further on my head here. Maybe that'll help. I got my head. There you go. Thanks, Mike. Oh, it got darker again. It was light there for a second. There it goes. Phone flashlight will work. Yeah. That flashlight's are charging. We'll see. It'll start working again in a little while. Do you have an extra phone there? They all have flashlights. Yeah. Oh, just turn the flashlight on that on the other side. Your your phone's flashlight. Doesn't it have one? Hey, Google. <laughs> turn the flashlight on. <laughs> Does that work? It ain't working. Oh, turning flashlight on. It's like C-3PO in your pocket. All right. So there we go. Beautiful Scott Horton's face again. How do you like that? Wonderful. Um, So, yeah, the China thing, man. Tell me more about what you read about what's been happening this week. Well, I mean, that's really all anyone has. And all anyone really has is that the fact that Every once in a while, someone will say, oh, they've definitely defaulted. And then they'll step in and they'll pay interest payments on bonds. And then, you know, I guess the Chinese government's like, "Okay, they didn't default. That kind of thing. So Uh it's like you can you can just Google Evergrande um, default and you'll see Evergrande defaulted. And the next one will say, no, Evergrande didn't default. They paid they paid off two. they paid the interest on two bonds yesterday. And you see, I mean, it's just. And ha- yeah. How that, do you know so what that, that government that, that Zahan said? See, I got way off on a tangent with that Zahan shit. Um, Zion, whatever. Um, <laughs> that was one of the things that he was saying was that it's such a political economy over there that 
you, you can only be understood as an economy that is made to serve politics only. You know, it's not the people and the economy and the government is even trying to be there to kind of, you know, get what they can and be a referee in any way or whatever. That essentially they will print money and prop up whatever business politics tells them to prop up. You know what I mean? Which is, you know, in the long run. So, oh, and now, so here's the thing about this, this sign, guys. He's saying, look, we need this world empire, but he's saying he concedes defeat. We're not having the world empire. Scott Horton's already won the argument. The world empire is over. And so, therefore, then China's going to fall apart without America there to prop up their international trade and subsidize all their international trade security forces and all of that. Then um, they're going to fall apart. So I told him, well, you're not a very good propagandist for the world empire that you support if you're not willing to demonize the next great enemy here, which is the justification for all this. And he joked around. He's like, well, what are you going to do? Right. I guess there's always Canada. You know, but like there's really there's just nothing to fear from China. And I think he probably overstates that, too. You know, mm. his other argument was like, dude, as they fall apart, they're going to become a completely strong, centralized, totalitarian state much more than before. Or, or, you know, back to the battle days kind of a thing, because that'll be their only hope is to flan to fan the flames of nationalism. You've seen some excuse of for the fall of the economy. Yeah. Did Scott Horton just like did, did the boat sink? Did the rapture happen and I'm not I'm not going? Are you really on the USS Liberty? I am. Yeah, I just got sanked by the fucking Israelis. <laughs> this duct tape completely failed me, man. I had it all duct taped together, Pete, in just the right way. Dude, the the duct tape gave out. It fucking just fell. No, I'm not kidding. Can you believe that shit? <laughs> I will try more duct tape. What other choice do I have? Fucking thing. Will you say something, Pete, while I'm struggling? I mean, I mean, I'm just, I think Ben Shapiro sent his boys after you. <laughs> Does Shapiro have boys? Well, the Mossad? Um, but the, um, well, I mean, I, China is showing signs that they are starting. <laughs> is that a drone strike? Um, they... China is showing signs that they are starting a cultural revolution. I mean, you sent me an article a while back um, before I went on Tim Pool uh, where they were talking about um, people were putting out manifestos and everything for returning to the cultural revolution. They just, um, to, to have a cultural revolution, they feminine men aren't allowed to appear on TV anymore and they're basically waging war on some of their entertainers so um yeah so yeah it looks like that it looks like China could actually revert to turning some of that frustration inward and if that happens yeah, I mean, you you sent me a foreign policy article where yeah you know, we were talking. I had a guy on my on my podcast, a friend of mine who's lived in China for twenty five years, who said he doesn't even know what a social credit system is there. And then you sent me that article by foreign policy saying the social credit system is like to monitor people that they they um to monitor people they believe are like have defaulted on loans or cheated people. It's like a way to keep people in line. Yeah, I mean, essentially, Pete, the way they made it sound anyway in that foreign policy article was like it was the Better Business Bureau or something. Keep yeah. track of, you know, bums who, who uh, run a shoddy business here and then flee there. Now, I don't know whether that's true. I mean, foreignpolicy.com is some corrupt shit. <laughs> so you never really know. But like, you know, like. Yeah, but what angle with what foreign policy? You're talking about where. You got your friend who lived there who was like, I never heard of such a thing. The idea that you got a billion Chinese in this one master 1984 database is just not true, he said. You know, I heard him on your show say that. So, yeah. And that's that sure sounded right to me. He was like, I don't even know what you're talking about, dude. That's just propaganda. Yeah. I mean, he sends me like video of the, where he drives and everything like that. And it looks, it, I mean, it looks like friggin'. 
Atlanta. I mean, it looks like the yeah. nice parts of Atlanta. And so, and I mean, I know there's bad parts and everything, but still it's like, if you have someone who's, you know, been there 20, who's lived there 25 years and is married to a Chinese woman, you know, and has businesses there and everything. And he's saying, I have no idea what, what these people are talking about. And then foreign policy. I mean, really what, how would it benefit foreign policy to actually start downplaying China's um, totalitarian instincts? Oh, I don't know. I mean, as an institution, who knows? I mean, they run different things. Uh, they could be on the take, you know? They're, the Chinese have their friends here at Brookings and wherever, you know? I don't know. But um, but no, mostly they're hawks there. I mean, mostly they're servants of the empire and the imperial court. They're not, you know, always. It's a mixed bag for sure. I mean, Stephen Walt has a good blog there. Um, so, um, you know. Uh, Gareth Porter wrote a great piece, uh, at least one there. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've never been there, Pete, but I got to tell you, I heard a lot of scare stories about China back in the 1990s. And then everybody forgot to be terrified of them for 20 years. So we could be terrified of the Muslims instead. And now we're back to being afraid of China again. Like, who's orchestrating this shit? It's not a reaction against what's really going on in the world. It's a reaction against what washington dc and their friends are putting on tv and you know forcing us to consume and react against so and look i don't know i mean chairman c has his policies they you know his wolf warrior diplomacy and he's you know being tough against japan on the senkaku islands or whatever the fuck but i just think all that is so overblown and frankly you know there's a piece on antiwar.com today you know linked on antiwar.com today about the chinese uh uh, it's a military.com article, I'm pretty sure. Chinese flew a bunch of fighter jets, not in Taiwanese airspace. They always say that. But in their um, air defense identification zone, it's called, which is much further out than their airspace. But anyway, the way that, you know, even the American Military Times reported it was, this is in reaction to an American delegation that included some congressmen who went to Taiwan, which was a provocation. So the Chinese are responding to the provocation. And, you know, most of the time they would leave out the part about how the Americans provoked it. You know what I mean? And just say, oh, well, the Americans were minding their own business on a nice little trip. And then all of a sudden the Chinese did something aggressive. But in this case, they're like, look, here's a statement from the Chinese. We're doing this in reaction to the thing that you're doing. And I think that, you know, that's mostly the story. Um I'd have to find footnotes for you, man. I don't remember where I learned all this, but I remember learning that one big major, you know, revolution in Chinese affairs came as a result of Iraq War One. When they saw that footage on TV and Norman Schwarzkopf and Colin Powell pretending that every bomb they dropped was a laser guided, satellite guided bomb that went down a chimney or in a window, when that was actually like less than 2% of the bombs they dropped in that war, um, killed something like 20 or 50,000 people or something. But anyway, the Chinese saw that and were like, whoa, the Americans can just decimate our tank divisions and whatever the hell, no problem at all from the air. We got to, you know, step up our game. And they had a whole big revolution, military affairs then. Then the next time was, I, I forgot exactly the chronology here. The Chinese might have started, but I think the Taiwanese were doing some drills. And then the Chinese started firing off some missiles near Taiwan, their own exercises. And this is in 1997. And Bill Clinton sailed the Seventh Fleet between Taiwan and China as a show of force. And the Chinese then, who they weren't planning on invading Taiwan or anything like that. They were already kind of reacting in the first place, I think. Um, but even still, they reacted to that and embarked on a whole new revolution in military, you know, in naval affairs and whatever the hell. We need a whole new doctrine of shipbuilding and all of these things. And so then you look at the last 20 years of you know aggression in the middle east and then the you know loudly announced and proclaimed pivot to asia an attempt to bring in australia and vietnam and japan of course and south korea and anyone else uh, and including india to try to form an alliance to hem in china and then you know again quote george cannon on russia like what do you think they're going to do you you expand nato surround them on all sides threaten them with missiles and and write about regime change in the Washington Post and whatever you want. And then 
once they react, then the Hawks say, see what aggressors they are? That's why we have to do what we're doing is because of how aggressive they are. When no, that's why they're doing what they're doing is because of how aggressive we are. The Americans just can never see it that way. It is just like the Israelis. No matter what, it's always Palestinian aggression and the Israelis responding, even when it's not that, even when it's the other way around. It's the same thing with the Americans. And they tell themselves that, too. I mean, that's the scariest part of this shit, Pete, is where they just believe all of their own bullshit. Or what if they do? You know what I mean? They really refuse to admit that anything that they have done has led to Chinese reaction against their power and that everything is simply just Chinese aggression. Again, like back to Iraq War One, Saddam Hussein, he's not in this complicated dispute over shared oil wells and unmanned islands in the Persian Gulf and, you know, war debts over the last war that we and the Kuwaitis had helped him to fight and all of these things. No, just Saddam Hussein woke up one morning and decided he wasn't Saddam Hussein anymore. He's Adolf Hitler and he's going to conquer the whole world, starting with Kuwait and then Saudi Arabia and the next Germany and France and Britain and then us. And so, you know, that's just how they tell these lies. It's the same shit over and over again. What's funny is, you know, the whole obvious story in the first place, the whole point of the unipolar moment is that it's just a moment and that they know, even in the first place, Charles Krauthammer said, we only have a limited period of time to make the world the way we want it to build the rules-based order the way we want it to be before other countries like China and India and, say, I don't know, Brazil or whatever kind of middle-rank economies and powers will kind of even things out. You know, they will get, you know, wealthier faster than us because they're starting from so much lower than us. And then eventually power around the world will be more spread out. It'll be a multipolar world. But you're just supposed to forget that. You're supposed to pretend to believe that, no, we're shifting from a unipolar world run out of Washington to a unipolar world run out of Beijing. And we're all going to be their slaves, all of Eurasia and all of the Americas, too. But that's just stupid. It's just stupid. It, there's no reason to think that at all. I mean, uh, again, to the litany of their own problems, they've got this Taiwan crisis to deal with one way or the other, which is you know, especially if they deal with it violently, it's going to cost them a trillion dollars or more. Uh, they've got, you know, somewhat restive populations in Hong Kong, in Tibet, in Xinjiang. And they're surrounded by, what, 14 countries, something like that. That they got to have a foreign policy for each one and keep them all balanced and keep them all out. And, you know, the idea that, I mean, think about it. If I said to you, you know, obviously China has their sights set on Tajikistan and Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan. They're going to Central Asia to take, like, you can tell that's stupid, right? Like, you don't believe that. That's fucking, that's not true. Like, maybe they would roll into Outer Mongolia. But then again, I think the Americans have been screwing around in Outer Mongolia. And I wouldn't be surprised if they did something to provoke a crisis there. Um, you know, I know there's mining interests and whatever, you know, important things there in Outer Mongolia. But right now, I mean, it's kind of the perfect example, right? If the Chinese are the hell-bent aggressors that the Americans portray them as, wouldn't Outer Mongolia be an easy one? It's not like America could field an army there to help defend it or anything like that. <coughs> it's not like picking a fight with the Japanese where we absolutely would go to their defense. You know what I mean? What the hell are we going to do about Mongolia? But they still don't do it. <coughs> so, anyway, I think I think Zion overplays China's weakness. Um, and I think he also overplays, you know, the degree to which they and the rest of the world are dependent on American security. You know, it's the same argument that Bill Crystal said that, sure, it's bad, but think about how much worse it could be if we weren't the ones in charge. Wouldn't Russia and Germany and China and Japan and Korea, wouldn't they all just go back to war? And I just think that that's not right. It's to me, and you know, it's not just the logical fallacy kind of thing where it's like Homer Simpson's bear repellent that like, well, China and Japan aren't fighting, are they? Well, that must be because of American hegemony in the region, right? Um, like in, if you look at Europe right now, America's the worst thing standing in the way of peace and good relations between Germany and Russia. 
they want and they're building they're, the Americans, you know, Biden finally gave up on this. But Barack Obama and Donald Trump's governments both did everything they could to try to stop the peace pipeline, the Nord Stream 2 uh, gas pipeline from Russia to Germany bypassing Ukraine. And you're supposed to be emotionally devastated, uh, Pete, that the Ukrainians aren't getting their share of the transit fees here. Um, and well, I mean, Americans, you know, swear to God, my, my mom's side of the family was, was originally from <laughs> Ukraine. So, you know, if I feel it a little bit right here. <laughs> I got Ukrainian family now, too. I, know. <laughs> I don't give a damn. Not at all. Um, and so anyways, um, the Americans put sanctions on a Swiss firm that is building the pipeline and on the Germans for building a pipeline with the Russians. Sanctions on the Germans, our allies, <clears throat> to prevent them from what, again, if you say American interests are defined by a few tens of billions of dollars going to some Texas natural gas salesmen, then, okay, fine, Strobe Talbot, you're an idiot, right? <laughs> Meanwhile, the interests of all of mankind hang on this goddamn pipeline, right? You know, we need, all humanity needs for Russia and Germany to trade gas and money. Let's have more of that, as much of that as we possibly can get so that they don't fight. <coughs> the last two times they fought is the worst thing that ever happened. And the next time they fight, it'll be the end of us all. So let's not do that. Let's ignore narrow interests and, and uh, support the broader interest. So, you know, I think it just does not go without saying the way Zion and Crystal and these guys say that without America there, things would be worse. Things would be falling apart. Everybody would be taking advantage. I think Zion said Sweden and Russia are going to go back at it. You know what? I just don't believe that that's really true, dude. Why? <coughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I guess I understand, and I don't know all the numbers involved. I understand governments have made terrible decisions and launched wars they should not have launched in the past and things like that. But you think about how much money is at stake in keeping the global economy running and keeping global international trade humming. That... Every nation in the world needs secure sea lanes. Every nation in the world, you know, needs for their markets to open tomorrow morning and not have some giant crisis. I mean, how much, how much could Sweden or Russia possibly gain from attacking each other more than they have to lose in a situation like that? And, you know, did you ever read Wilson's War? Uh, how Woodrow Wilson's great blunder led to Hitler's Stalin World War II. No. Oh, it's so good. Jim Powell. So, like, the preface of that book is he says, the Allied powers and the Central powers are what grew out of two separate trade blocks. You had the English-led trade block and the German-led trade block. And they had free trade within their alliances. But, but not with between the two blocks and then those two trade blocks ended up becoming the allied powers and the central powers and went to war in world war one and powell's point being that damn first of all being economic allies sure led to peace between the economic allies and they they ignored all kinds of conflicts in order to keep the peace between themselves but he says, you know, curses. It's just too bad that they couldn't combine these two massive trade blocks together instead of competing against each other. They could have just kicked all those doors down and you know, it would have taken the Germ the British allowing the Germans to become a, you know, not the single dominant power in Europe, but a much more dominant player in European affairs. They would have had to tolerate that. But if they could have just you know, come together in a commercial manner. In fact, my buddy was just telling me, you know, he's a businessman. He, I don't care who you are. As long as we're doing business, it might even be somebody he doesn't like. But he'll sit there and smile and shake hands and do good work in exchange for money. Because business is business, you know? And that's from the micro to the macro. That's exactly how all of us should, should be, you know, practicing. So, uh, anyways... That's all about that. I just think, you know, if America left uh, Asia 
Like, what if they really left Asia, Pete? They sail everything home. Leave Okinawa to the Okinawans. Let them worry about their problems with the Japanese after that. Um, and, uh, and leave Korea. Pull the Navy out of that whole area. And just said, guys, work it out. I mean, I think that the Chinese, the uh, Australians, the Japanese and South Koreans and Vietnamese and everybody would immediately start sitting around tables and hammering out agreements. You look what happened. We leave the Middle East right now. You got Saudi Arabia sucking up to Iran. Well, Pete, if we're not helping Saudi Arabia fight Iran, what the hell are we even doing over there? And or if we're not helping Iran fight Saudi Arabia, depending on which day it is. But you know what I mean? But if that's not a conflict, then who the hell cares who's doing anything? That's the whole worry over there is this massive sectarian divide. And so and, and why did that happen? Because they got mixed signals, at least, that maybe Joe Biden is leaving. That maybe Joe Biden isn't that interested in the Middle East and isn't that interested in propping up Saudi Arabia and doing whatever they want. And I don't know what, you know, Blinken might have told them. But they started working it out. They, they struck a deal with the Qataris. You know, the UAE and Saudis have been blockading and persecuting and sanctioning the Qataris. They dropped all that. And then they sent delegations to Baghdad to meet with the Iranians and talk there. So, you know what? Like, I'm not saying it's magic or anything, but doesn't that make sense? That as soon as America stops explicitly promising to do whatever Saudi Arabia says, that they start negotiating with their neighbors instead of getting louder and more belligerent, you know, as long as we're not there to pick up all their slack. Be nice. It'd be nice. <clears throat> you know, I transla- transition into um, something domestic. Yeah, man. <clears throat> so Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Yeah. I don't know if you've been following any of it this week, but um, this is complete insanity. I mean, the first day of the trial, the FBI drops a tape that was out there for a little while because I actually know people who have the tape showing that he was being chased and pursued down right. the street by people. And, you know, so like right now, off wait, the let bat. Me, let me stop you right there. Are we talking? OK, so just for people who are not following this and they're clear on this, we're talking about, you know, last summer. August of last year, yeah. August of last year um, in Kenosha, Wisconsin, right? Or Minnesota or what? Wisconsin, right? Kenosha, Kenosha, Wisconsin. Yeah. Oh, and I just want to say um, thanks for the birthday wishes, Marty. Today's oh. my birthday. Oh, happy birthday, Pete. I didn't know. Yeah, no problem. Cool. I, I was going to tell you before we started, but it was you're doing your boat stuff and duct tape stuff. So, you know. Yes, um, I got duct tape <laughs> problems here. First things first, man. But happy birthday. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but the yeah, so this. Oh wait, so I was just gonna say, there's there's two different events here, basically, right? There's the there's the uh, first encounter with two guys, one of whom gets shot to death. Then the guy runs down the street and falls down. Then he's attacked by more guys, and he shoots them too. So I just wanted to clarify which scene you're talking about, because I believe the the second part. Where, he sh- where he's on the ground and shooting the people. I think that video is what came out immediately. And yes. then, are, am I correct that what you're saying, yes. the FBI the came FBI out one, the stuff that they had buried all this time? Yeah, because the original story was that the first guy that he shot wasn't, I mean, he just, it, it was, oh, it was just random. He just shot him for no reason and everything. So what the FBI released was showing that he's being chased down the right. street into that into that parking lot, Um towards that dumpster when he gets attacked and you hear shots are ringing out and they're not an AR 15. They're not, they're not an AR. And so he shoots. Yeah. He shoots a guy and then he runs down the street and that's when the, um, you know, that's when the other two um, attack him and everything. So um, yeah, this is just the most nuts trial because you're only living witness you know, and I remember a lawyer telling me a long time ago, if if you get in if you get in an incident where you have to use your gun and shoot someone, make sure that they can't testify. Yeah, I mean, I have to <laughs> yeah. say, um, you know, so I I had I only very recently saw the first part of it. I mean, it was clear, you know, in the second part of it that 
what you're seeing in the second part it wholly depends on what happened in the first part. In other words, if, like you're saying the story was, that the first shooting was just a cold-blooded murder, then that means that the guys who are attacking him are essentially heroes defending and trying to disarm a murderer. And at that point, he doesn't have the right to defend himself. He's the aggressor. Even if in that instant they're trying to take his head off with a skateboard, he's the aggressor, not the defendant. But, so that's why it's all, all depends on what happened earlier in that parking lot and, you know, why it was they were chasing him. And in fact, even you could see how possibly in the mind of the people who were chasing him, that they thought that he was the bad guy and that he had just murdered someone. I don't know what they knew at the time. They might've assumed that he was a bad guy and an aggressor and they were trying to do the right thing, but those are the breaks for their misunderstanding. Because at that point he was, as you say, being chased and was cornered. Essentially you can see in the footage he's cornered and the guy who we know now just got out of a mental hospital <laughs> and had been, that, like, you know, loudly, verbally promising to murder people on the scene up until right at that moment um, in the minutes beforehand. And I guess earlier before he cornered, chased him and cornered him. So the guy had no choice, essentially, but to turn around and shoot him. Otherwise, our, what are you going to do? Let him take your rifle? You know, our Adams here is saying the out of town 17 year old with an AR 15. Um, our Adams, if you're a libertarian, you don't believe in borders or gun laws, right? Yeah, seriously, this whole out of state thing is a total red herring. The kid said on the stand his father lives there and his job was there, or at least one of his jobs was there. So it's, it's his community and every right to be there. Make it sound. See, this is part of the narrative that they're putting there. They want you to sort of conflate. And I'm not sure of this comment or maybe he's the victim here conflating. They want you to, to think of this kid as he's part of the Oath Keepers or the Proud Boys or the Three Percenters or something like that. But that's just not the case. And, you know, the testimony, the prosecution in the trial is not trying to connect him to that. They're not saying, oh, yeah, on your Facebook, you like show how you're a white pride guy or any of these kinds of things. He was but, a bootlicker. He was yeah, he so was like a cop lover. Yeah, he's like a yeah, but like a local kid. He wanted to go yeah, yeah. be a firefighter kind of a kid. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so um but the idea that oh he crossed state lines with an AR fifteen is like, oh no, he just went there LARPing essentially to be a a cop, right? Pretending to be a cop enforcing the law. But then but that's not the testimony. And that's not the prosecution's case. I mean the prosecution essentially, from what I saw and I didn't see at all but I, I did watch quite a bit of it yesterday and a, a bit the day before that. Um, from what I can see of the prosecution's case here, they're not challenging the idea that this kid was scrubbing graffiti off the wall of the high school and was providing medical care to anyone on the hippie side or on the right-winger side or whatever. If anyone needed medical care, he was going around saying medical, medical. And then, yeah, he had a rifle because he's in a dangerous area. And which, look, Johnny Cash makes an important point about bringing your guns to town. And like, I'm in, I'm a big, you know, pro gun guy in every way, but I recommend concealed carry. I don't like people carrying guns on their hips everywhere. Cause I think that shit's provocative. I'm a and concealed you know, carry there was, guy too. So, there was a yeah. libertarian at a black lives matter rally here in Austin who the guy in the car, I think was the aggressor. Now, first of all, these people should not have been out protesting, parading in traffic at night anyway. But that wasn't aggression. It was just stupid. But then this guy in the car essentially like meh, meh, and goes through the crowd. And then the crowd, I don't know where they picked this up, Pete, but I've noticed this from protesters recently. And when a car tries to kind of run through the crowd, they all converge on the car instead of getting the hell out of the way. They all kind of converge on the car and make themselves more threatened, which is like what a cop will do, right? Jump in front of a car and then shoot at the guy and go, oh, wait, he was coming right at me or whatever, right? Well, so in this case, the people kind of descend on the car and the, the libertarian with an AR-15 on his chest, I think unnecessarily, I'm not saying illegally, but like he didn't have it slung over his shoulder. It's like at low ready. And he runs up to the guy with an AR. So the guy reached out the window and shoots him with his Glock or his 45 or whatever it was and kills him. And now, in fact, the guy in the car is now going on trial. It took them months to finally decide, but they decided he was the aggressor since he was, you know, intervening in the car. But the only reason that the guy is dead is because he had a rifle in his hands as he was running up to the guy in the car. 
Now, I don't think he was pointing it right at him, but you know what? I'm not so sure he had to be pointing it right at him. You know, I don't know. So there is a Johnny Cash take your guns to town kind of thing where if this kid didn't have a gun, then he wouldn't have been under threat of having it taken from him. And then he wouldn't have had the need to use deadly force to protect himself from getting his gun taken away. So there is kind of a, a paradox there or whatever. However, screw that. It doesn't matter. He has a right. He was an invited guest, a welcome guest on property to help defend that property. He had the delegated right, you know, from the owner of that property to be there to help. And he went at the part where the conflict broke out. He went there to put out a fire. that Someone was starting with a Duralog in the backseat of a car. And, and then I guess before that, and this was something that I just learned from some of the testimony. I forgot if I saw this clip on YouTube or if this, I saw this part of it live where um, they were trying to start, they're trying to set a dumpster on fire. And he was with the guys who stopped that from happening. And that was before he went down the street to go. Oh, that was, I did see that live during the trial. They played that footage. And then it was after that, that he went down the street to put out the other fire. And so that's when the mental patient started chasing after him. Yeah. And, that's, like yeah. That. Yeah. and so, um, yeah, I mean, and this does go to, to me, the all important lesson here is, you know, you don't really have a case like this where you have cameras in the courtroom on a murder trial very often. It's certainly not one that's so politicized left and right. You know what I mean? What what really famous you have, like that lady in Florida that killed her kid or like the Menendez brothers that murdered their parents or whatever that you know what I mean? That's not OJ. But, yeah. Yeah. OJ. <laughs> OJ is the last one that was this kind of politicized, but, yeah. but the, the answer. Oh, no, 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 no. Trayvon Martin, George Zimmerman. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Was that televised the trial? I, I watched, I, I, I didn't oh. watch all of it, but I watched parts of it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think this gives, because it's a white right wing kid who is being falsely, you know, obviously is being overcharged and, and persecuted here, you know, for political reasons, right? So that the local DA can make good um, at this kid's expense and all of that, that I hope that this is, you know, sort of like when Donald Trump denounces Jeb Bush's brother's wars, they're like, this is a, a chance for right-wingers to take a red pill and see that, you know what, prosecutors are sometimes very bad people and they really their job is getting convictions man they don't really care whether they're telling the truth getting they don't pleas. Really care whether the their job is getting the pleas they I'm don't want to go to their job is getting pleas yeah, they don't exactly. want to go to trial That's a great point. Yeah, they want to get pleas yeah their yeah their job is simply racking up convictions at any cost and they will you know ask anybody who's gone through the system man they're treated unfairly all the time there's no way you could say you know, like, if you got charged with some crazy crime, wouldn't you, like, you kind of think ahead. Like, you would try to explain to the prosecutor, no, man, it wasn't like that. See, or what, right? And, like, reason with them. But, yeah, that's like, you know, reasoning with a rabid animal. You know, they're not they here care. for you. I, I, I told you before, Pete, about I had the, the Harris County Assistant District Attorney in my cab 20 years ago. She told me that their cliche, their slogan around the district attorney's office in Houston is that if they really didn't do it, they'll get out on appeal. In other words, anyone the cops bring them, they nail them to the fucking wall. Destroy and their then, lives. And then I mean, the burden is on them lives. to prove that they're innocent from inside a prison cell. And the and the burden is on them not, not to prove they're innocent. The burden is on them to prove that the judge made a major procedural error that prevented them from getting a fair trial. Or that some new scientific method has been invented that can be, you know, used to re-examine old evidence. Or some crazy loophole. That's what it takes to get unconvicted, right? Is not proof of actual innocence. Not a new witness has come forward and says that she can provide an alibi. That's not good enough. That won't get you out. You know, but that's the way. Look, if you're an ADA, what are you going to do? Really make sure that you got the right guy? That's too much trouble. You got too many cases. So it's just flip the burger, put it on the bun, in the package, and out the window, man. And on to the next one, over and over again. It doesn't matter who they are. The cops brought them to us. They must have done something. That's the attitude. And so right-wingers ought to, this is a window. This is for them to see. 
You think they treat Kyle Rittenhouse bad? Think of how they treat poor black kids with no lawyer at all, right? Think about how they treat the average poor schmuck who has at best a court-appointed attorney who's got 175 cases this month and can't do a good job doing a single one of them, you know? And how many cases where they just got the wrong guy? How many cases where the cops couldn't catch the kid that ran fast, so they caught the kid that ran slow? And now he's the one that has to take the rap for whatever it is. And this happens all day, every day. There are thousands of innocent people, completely innocent, wrong guy, innocent people, or either wrong guy or completely irrationally overcharged people sitting in prison all across this country right now. You know, that whole thing, you know, I used to love Matlock so much when I was a kid. It's kind of a funny, like when I was in high school, we had our Matlock club. We'd get all high and watch Matlock. Um, <laughs> but the thing is like, nah, man, curse Andy Griffith for that. Because it ain't, you know, what he should have done was he should have portrayed the way those courts really work, where the judge and the prosecutor are monsters. And they don't give a damn whether even when Andy Griffith gets the confession out of the bad guy on the stand, that they still try to proceed anyway. You ever remember The Simpsons where um, Bart's on trial for killing Principal Skinner? And then Principal Skinner, he ended up, he was just buried under newspapers in his basement. And so he finally like comes into the courtroom and he, he tells the whole story. There I was. And then the newspapers fell on me. So I made a game of dribbling a basketball and then seeing if I could beat that record and all of this stuff. Right. And then the prosecutor stands up and goes, your honor, we move that that testimony be stricken from the record. Cause he wants to go ahead and keep prosecuting Bart for murder anyway, even though the body is alive and right here in the courtroom, you know, like that's how it really is. And, um, I hope people can see that like watch. In fact, if you watch the way the camera is set up, you're watching the defense attorney do the direct of the defendant here. And you can see the prosecutor, the ADA is right there in camera shots. You can see his face the whole time. And you can just see what a horrible guy this is trying to figure out, how he's going to get this kid Rittenhouse to stumble, you know? Hey, kid, don't you like playing Call of Duty? Don't you use an AR-15 and kill people when you play video games? Like, boy, talk about reaching desperately to try to figure out something to get this kid to say, yeah, boy, I really get bloodlusty when I play Call of Duty <laughs> or whatever it is. Instead, the, the young man, the 18-year-old, is lecturing the adult that um, it's just a video game, dude. It's not, not real life, <laughs> you know, and all of this. It's a travesty. It's ridiculous to see. And and knowing, as you said, knowing what we know now from the footage, and it, it, people type into to your uh, open a new tab and type in Rittenhouse new drone footage. And you'll find right there on YouTube, you'll find, it's not even a piece of somebody else's video. It's not a news story or anything. It's just the drone footage itself. I think you can see it. Um, and it's just absolutely clear. The guy's lunging right at him, uh, right at the moment that he's shot. And, and, and chased him, as you said, chased him in the parking lot. The kid is yelling, friendly, 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 as the guy's running after him. The guy keeps running after him. And then the other guy shoots in the air and he's yelling, kill him, get him. You know? Yep, that's a self-defense case. And and by the way, oh, here's another thing, as long as I'm rambling about this, Pete, and I want to hear what you got to say too, but I wanted to say about this, that the part where he's on the ground, and I may have this out of order, but it's pretty close. He falls down as he's running. He's, I guess, stumbles and falls. Then a guy runs up, kicks him right in the head. Then the other guy comes and hits him with the skateboard. Then he shoots the guy with the skateboard. The guy that kicked him in the head, if I understand it right, kept going. Mm -hmm. Rittenhouse did not shoot him. He was no longer a threat. This is all taking place within fractions of a second. Mm -hmm. He says, this guy kicked me in the head, but now he's leaving. This guy hit me with a skateboard and is still engaging. He gets shot. Then another guy's advancing on him and then the other guy pulls the gun out of his pocket and aims it at him. He shoots this guy in the arm, neutralizing the threat. Maybe that was a bad shot. He was trying to get him in the chest. It was a bad shot. It was but a bad shot. he hits shot. him in the arm. Yeah. Then he points the gun at the other guy, and the other guy puts his hands up and backs away, does not get shot. So in the space of about one second, 
maybe one and a half seconds. He gets assaulted by this guy, lets him live. He gets assaulted by this guy with a weapon, takes his life. This guy draws on him, he kills him. This guy's coming at him and then changes his mind and backs off, he backs off. I gotta hand it to him, Pete. I gotta tell you, man, I'm being attacked by three, four, five different people and I got a rifle. I might engage everybody close, you know? I don't know that I would have had the presence of mind that this kid had to pick his targets as carefully as he did um, in that extremely fast sequence of events as that's taken place there, you know? Well, let me ask you, since this is something that um, has been brought up by some libertarians who just need to feel the need to shit on Kyle Rittenhouse because, I don't know, consistency or something. Um, well, if he's hitting him with a skateboard, um, if he's getting attacked with a skateboard, that doesn't give him the right to shoot him because it's just a skateboard. No, I mean, I don't think that's right. I mean, I think in this case, the kid with the skateboard, if you're really going to hit someone with a skateboard, someone with a rifle, and you're trying to incapacitate that person, you try your best to hit him with the truck, that aluminum truck, and split yeah. their fucking skull open, man. He hit him with the flat grip tape side of the skateboard. I mean, maybe if you really got the side of it, if you really hauled off, yeah, yeah. you could split somebody's head with the side of it. But with just the flat grip tape part of the tail or the nose of the board, the way he hit him, I mean, it was... Now, I'm not saying that Rittenhouse then has to sit there and take it or wait for another one. I mean, that's a bludgeon. That's a deadly weapon. And I'm, I guarantee you in all 50 states in the union, if someone comes at you with a bludgeon and is hitting you in the head with it, um, and, you can shoot you, and including a skateboard, you can shoot them. You know, I don't think that there's a problem with that. And by the way, I'm glad that you brought up the skateboard thing too, because to me, like as important, well, probably maybe the most important thing about this whole story, right, is just how insanely politicized it all is, right? Like if you lean left, you're on this side. And if you lean right, you're on that side. And that's it. But so for me, that shit never works on me because I don't lean left or right. I'm a libertarian. And the other thing is I'm all in favor of people with AR-15s defending their property. And I'm also all in favor of skateboarders. So as far as my preconceived biases go, I'm on both sides from the very beginning, right? Like I don't, I'm not picking a winner and a loser between this kid with the rifle and this kid with the skateboard other than who's the aggressor and who's not to the best of my judgment. That's it. And I don't care about politics. And frankly, I don't care if my audience agrees or disagrees or loves or hates my position. <coughs> you know, I don't, fight culture war arguments about abortion and immigration and all these things all the time, all this woke shit. I don't want to fight about that because I'm not trying to be sectarian. I'm just trying to end the wars. That's all I really care about. But at the same time, um, you know, I think whatever I think, I'll comment whatever I feel like commenting on, whatever I feel like commenting on. And it amazes me. It astounds me the way people will defer their opinions to their group. You know, like I understand from when I was a little kid what it's like to be like, go Aggies or go UT against the Aggies or whatever. You know, like we're us and they're them and all that. But that's just football. That's just that's just games. Dude. That's not real. I mean, you're not supposed to just think. And in fact, like if you look at all the people on Twitter condemning Rittenhouse, they go, well, if he was poor and black, he'd already been sent off to prison. And it's like, yeah, but that sucks, right? Like, that's not fair. And that's You're right, but that's bad. So is your argument that that's what should happen to him because if an unfair thing happens to black people, unfair things should happen to white people too? Because they're right that it's hypocritical that, a, a, honestly, a poor black guy, well, look, there are cam there's camera footage of this entire thing. Right. If there's not camera footage of this entire thing, we could be having a whole different conversation here. But, you know, most crimes are not videotaped from five angles or whatever. Right. But anyway, like most people don't get as good of a defense as Kyle Rittenhouse has gotten, you know, and, and the poorer you are and the more of a minority you are, the more likely that that is the case, you know. Um, and so 
I can understand why people who are frustrated at, at how badly poor and minority people are treated by the cops feel seeing this kid who, you know, looks to be privileged getting a good O.J. Simpson quality defense attorney here to get his ass off. When in fact, like, no, he really is innocent, man. He really is uh, quite clearly was acting to defend himself, was not the aggressor, maybe put himself in a situation where it wasn't wise to be, but that's not aggression. That doesn't count. That's not the argument. Um, and so, you know, and but then, like I'm saying, that should be a lesson to right wingers, too, that, you know what, more poor and black and brown and poor white people and every and everybody else. They ought to be getting off sometimes, too. A lot of the times that they are charged, it's not fair either what happens to them, you know? <clears throat> and, I mean, seriously, I say this all the time. Subscribe to the afternoon email newsletter from thefreethoughtproject.com. Matt Agarist and the small crew over there at the Free Thought Project. Every afternoon, I get an email from them about who the cops murdered today. Every single day who they railroaded, who they killed. You know, today it was... And it's mostly cops, white people. Yeah, and it does. Yeah, it's, it, it takes all kinds. Um, and in <laughs> it's fact, mostly white people getting killed in those. Two guys yeah. were convicted. They got they electroshock tortured a guy to death over the course of 12 minutes. And then, then they actually were convicted of second-degree murder, unbelievably. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, shit is really, really wrong. It, it ain't just, and I saw Mike Cernovich said, you know, lesson to all right-wingers, the word of government employees can no longer be trusted. I was like, no longer? Since since they indicted Rittenhouse? Dude, come on, Cernovich, man. This is the most corrupt country in the world. Why do you think Afghanistan and Iraq are the second and third most corrupt countries in the world? Because their governments were created by this one. That's why. You know? Well, the Taliban ruled Afghanistan now because the government we created there was so corrupt it couldn't even stand for a day without the U.S. Marine Corps <laughs> there to back it up. But seriously, can no longer be trusted. I mean, these are the guys who lied us into war over and over and over again. These are the guys that said that David Koresh and his people set their own children on fire, Keith. You know? After a standoff of 51 days. These are the people <laughs> who framed Donald Trump for treason with the Kremlin <laughs> of all things. You couldn't make that shit up, but Hillary Clinton and the CIA and the FBI can. And that's who these guys are. Yeah, they're the devil. All right. You know, absolutely. They are. Um, so here, here and 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 be grateful. For conservatives snapping out of it. That thin blue line stuff, man, that's a bunch of propaganda. The state is your enemy. Everybody knows that. Let's get out of here, man. Yeah, dude. Thanks, Pete. Good show. Sorry, I just talked the whole damn time, but I had some things on my mind about this. No problem. And um, Free Mammy on the Wall podcast and obviously Scott Horton show and Libertarian Institute, we hit our, we hit our goal. We did. We made 60000 bucks and then some. So thank you so much to everybody who donated. Absolutely. And by the Thanks, way, antiwar.com fund drive is now on. <laughs> cool. So if you have I'll, any money left. I'll be donating to that. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Cool. Well, thanks, Pete. I'm going to go drive my boat up and down the Colorado River for a little while. Good night. Good night.